Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you for being here. If it's your first time, welcome. If you're a regular, man, I, that means more to me than even that first timer. I'm glad you. I'm glad you keep coming back. On the show today, we have a friend of mine, Mark Dobson. Mark is a performance coach, which is a. I mean, it sounds like a loose term, doesn't it? It's a. It's a. It's a weird description to give someone, but. What Mark does is work with athletes and works with companies and works with individuals to help them navigate what the next step in their journey should be. He's been doing it for 31 years and he's got a really strong reputation. All you gotta do is go to his website and see some of the athletes and the companies that he's worked with, some of the problems that he's solved and you quickly realize, okay, he's uh, he's legitimate. He knows what he's talking about in this scene. So he's always a, a great guy to talk to about that. Today, however, we pivot from that conversation, which is usually the foundation of our conversations. And we have a bit of a chat about dealing with death and grief and support that we can offer people in that scene. Because recently, uh, Mark lost his mum to cancer. He said about six weeks ago that she was really battling. And he messaged me three weeks ago to say that she had passed. And more than her passing, he'd been shocked and you know upset, but he'd been frustrated by the lack of support and lack of ability that so many people have to deal with other people's grief and knowing how to support them. So this is a bit of a pivot. It's a bit of a change to our regular conversation, but nonetheless, it's very informative. And as always, we we go on a few rabbit holes and a few little pivots throughout the conversation. So really helpful. It was really interesting to me. I hope it is to you as well. So I wanted to welcome to the show for the second time, the great man himself, Mr. Mark Dobson. So what are you gonna tell us, tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. Yeah, so I get the feedback that I'm too arrogant, and it because I'll present and I'll get the feedback is I name drop. I work with this person and that person, and uh, it, it's interesting where once you start to become very good at something, you you do put a big gap between yourself and the bulk of the population. Now, some people that I work with have don't think I'm arrogant in any way whatsoever because they're similarly as confident, and. There are other people like with Ananda, who um, my business partner, where he he uh, he has other people that have called him out and said, "You're not visionary enough. You know, you're trying to build a billion dollar company, and I'm annoyed at you because it should be a three billion dollar company." And that's not any exaggeration. Like those numbers are 100 percent real, and there's the size of the project he's involved in charge of. So it's interesting when you say that uh, I get fatigued. I'm fatigued. I get up the front and I go, "Look, oh, guys, this is just what we're doing." And that, but that can be really polarizing. And I think, you know, you always are trying to work out, is this a place where I should be that strong and clear? But sometimes you've got to hold back just as a courtesy. You don't want to rub people the wrong way. So I always have to work out, like, I'm very clear. on Well, what, am I being paid to tell you the truth? Then I will be as clear as I possibly can. If I'm not being paid, then I'll just pander around and be polite and, and, and courteous. And if I'm married... In my relationship, I just let Brona have whatever she wants. <laughs> We've got the, I've got the same tactic. It's so funny, man. There's um, there's so many different ways to have conversations with people. And uh, I was talking to a girl last night at, at comedy, and she's a girl who who didn't want to get vaccinated throughout the whole COVID thing. And she goes, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I decided early though that whenever someone asked, I'd just tell them I was." And she goes, "For me, it just saved me all the drama. I didn't have a point to prove. I didn't want to justify." Yeah. I knew a lot of people weren't that interested. 
and I thought actually it's a it's a pretty smart move by a lot of standards. Like I I went in the same direction as her, but I was a, such a loudmouth about it that mm. I just watched my Instagram following <laughs> plummet yeah. every time oh. I put something up, and it became a, a little joke with me and Jesse. We go, oh, how many am I going to lose through this one? But I kind of respect that um, the awareness that she had to go. Okay, well, here's my goal. What's my goal? My goal is not to make enemies. Here's my own personal decision. What's the best way through this? All right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell them what they want to hear for the time being. And whether that's right or wrong, I don't know a hundred percent. I guess it depends. I, I saw that too. I, I saw people pick the battle in all different ways, and then some people said, oh, "Well, it's a game. He's got to play the system." And they've got, you know, okay, whether it be a, a fake something to get themselves through or they tell a story or they dance around. But there were other people thinking, no, the, the game is wrong and so I'm going to fight the system. And so I refuse to do any of that stuff. And um, at, and at some point, I do look at the game and feel like I can't change the game. So I've got to, I've got to respect the playing field and, and learn to thrive inside it. And And I don't know who's right or wrong, but, you know, when you've got – two kids to look after you find a way um and you've got to find a way inside your values and uh in a way that allows you to uh have sustained success not just a short-term win or a short-term loss that could could really hurt you um it's certainly a tricky tricky period and like you i've still got falling outs from that period um which i it's not funny because the idea today was talk about like having lost my mum six weeks ago, but I actually lose more sleep over some of those relationships that are still uh, uneasy. Uh, it, I think it's very difficult when people don't like you and when you've got friendship circles that we all used to hang out, now this person doesn't come or we're not welcome or it's just weird. <clears throat> I still lose more sleep over that than I do my mum, which is messed up, I reckon. And... They're not the same because there's other things like I won't cry over that stuff, but I might cry over mum. So it's a very interesting thing to to observe, especially at the moment, the extremes of how friendships and relationships play out, what provokes and what gets them there, and then how you ethically find your way through it. And and just the stupid calamities that come up that we've got to navigate. It's it, um yeah, that's what I was looking forward to this conversation today because I've just been, with mum passing, I've been invited into a whole new, uh, I don't know, bunch of challenges and also a whole new world where people don't know how to behave and regress and in regressing are not available for to, to contribute to people who are in a lot of pain. It, it's a whole new world on the other side of mum passing. Yeah, I, I was going to say, well, first of all, thanks for coming on because I know what was it, three three weeks ago now she passed? I remember when we chatted about six weeks ago, uh, yeah. you mentioned no, so, she was, she was yeah. really quite sick. So it was six weeks. I think she passed about six weeks ago, seven weeks today, I think it is. So okay. um, October 28th, I think it was, yeah. Sure. And like to bring everybody up to speed, as soon as mum passed, I reached out, about a week after I reached out to Tyson and said, look, I think we need to do a podcast on death because I'm just experiencing things that are a bit messed up. And... Uh, and so I usually when people when I do a podcast, people invite me. And this was the first time I said, Hey, I think this is a hot topic. And um and Tyson was like, Yeah, fair enough. But also knew you just had a new baby, a second baby. And I also was very aware it's like Tyson's life is a little bit messed up too right now. It's like it's <laughs> it'll be stretched. <laughs> 
So there's a good chance I was going to get an email back at like two in the morning when he's uh, <laughs> nursing or something. So yeah, when mum passed, it was a bit of a, uh, I, I saw, I, I just went through a long, yeah, I went through a whole lot of different um, emotions, but mainly it was another almost version of the COVID thing where people didn't know how to handle it. And some people handled it really poorly and continue to uh, probably not as heated as, you know, as the, as the COVID era was, but also, um, yeah, there was a lot of, they handled it poorly. And then some people handled it really well, but I think culturally this country doesn't handle death well. And my wife is Irish and I went to her mum's funeral was just a story on its own. Maybe we'll go there, but she, um, the Irish handled death so differently and, I think we've got a lot to learn from other cultures on this because frankly, as a family, we just got so little support and uh, I'm fine with that. So when I, I want to have this conversation today, it wasn't, uh, I wanted to talk about it, but without being bitter, because that's not where I'm at. I've more so just seen this gaping big hole in our community and thought we, we got, there's other people going to die in the future. That's a certainty. All our listeners need to know what to do so they can support those people because I think there's a lot of good people that just made um, that just didn't know how to handle it. And the intent today was to talk about it so that uh, people could, yeah, make really good choices to support people they love in the future because we didn't feel supported at all. Yeah, yeah, it's such an interesting topic, man, because. Um, a friend of ours, or both, or at least associate of yours, my my good mate uh, James O'Connor, he recently lost his old man as well, and I I would guess, yeah, I was his best man at his wedding. He was the best man at my like we're we're best mates, mm. and even with him, there's been an element from my perspective of just not knowing how to address the conversation because I knew his dad Graham for a long time. I knew how close Jocker was with Graham, and the nervousness or the uncertainty for me was like i don't know i'm not sure if he wants to talk about it if he's willing to talk about it do i bring it up do i talk like there's been a lot of awkwardness on my side of the fence and i caught up with him yesterday and it was the first time we had like a, a really good decent chat about how he's going about some of the side effects about what i can actually do to be more helpful because the truth is when you sent me the email a couple of weeks ago and you're like ozzy's a shit at dealing with death i was like yep I'd put myself in that category and I'd put myself in that category as a friend and I'd put myself in that category as a bloke who has lost a few people quite quite close to me and had to navigate that whole world of grief. It was like a it was like I was the first person in the world to ever experience a, a death of a loved one because I was like, oh man, mm. like, no one understands this based on the responses that I'm getting. And and I was the kind of person as well. Like I was I was very proud of maintaining a positive attitude and um, staying up and about and I was teaching at the time and I remember going into school and I was you know I'd put on a brave face and put on a big tough guy face but in the morning like and I don't cry a lot really but I was bawling my eyes out for for, for like a couple of months and I just thought I was struggling with some random spontaneous version of depression that had just kicked in and for whatever reason I couldn't quite put the dots together about what the cause of the the sadness was and uh yeah, it was a very strange period from from that who perspective. Did you, who did you lose? I lost I lost two people. So one of my he was actually an uncle of mine, but he was he was more like a best mate. He was he was about he was about your age, like he was quite young. Mm. 
Um, and he had a he had a cancer, but he was just man. He was a bit of a firecracker. He was one of these kind of guys that he he. I looked up to him because he definitely didn't live the um, the recommended lifestyle that so many people in Australia are encouraged to live in the sense of or in the West of hey, go to work, save your money, buy a house, uh, go on a holiday, and then retire. He was like, mate, I've got a million ideas. I'm, he was a bit of a wheeler and dealer interest to reputation with drugs <laughs> um, but he was uh he was like a a hard not a hard exterior but he was a he was a breath of fresh air I found for me because he was the one person that I could go to and he had no idea about the industry that I was in but it was like he was the one person that you could go to and he'd go no no I like what you're doing here's what I see as an opportunity here's where I reckon you gotta and he was he, he especially in the last few years of his life he had cancer um he he became almost like a mentor to me. I'd go and sit there with him and we'd just talk about, you know, what's really important and, and what do we love and where do we want to invest our energy? And as a result, we got quite close. But I was in London when he passed. So I came back for his funeral in April 2017 and then went back to London. And I hadn't seen him for 12 months before he passed. I got to see him uh, about three or four days before he did. But then when I went back to London, it was like, Oh, okay, so we're, we're just back into London life. Like Uncle Phil he, was his name. He's not here. He's not around. And I kind of forgot. And then I got home uh, in early 2018 and I would go to his house two or three times a week. And it was when I got back and I was like, I don't, like it's Tuesday night. Usually I go and go and have a coffee with Uncle Phil and have it. Like now he's, he's not around. It's just, it was a gaping hole. And then about a month later, uh, I, I lost uh, my my grandma who was who I was very close with, like outside of with my direct family, like, outside of my mum she was probably the closest person and it was it was just about three or four months of like I just felt like the rug had been pulled out from under my feet but I didn't put it down to the death because I was thinking oh no uh, Uncle Phil died a year ago now and then Nan's just died and it can't like this sadness can't just be because of that mm -hmm. and it was just so many questions and then I remember the the turn like not the turning point but like the the eye opener for me that I was like, okay, something's seriously wrong. And it sounds like an exaggeration, but it's hundred percent truth. I didn't sleep at all for three nights straight. Like I was just, I just could not sleep. I'd go to bed and start having panic attacks and I was just freaking out. And uh, Jessie said to me, she's like, babe, I think, I think you don't need a stress. You don't need a panic because I, it's a severe, like you're just struggling badly with grief. You're not mental. You're not crazy. You just haven't experienced grief like this before. And so that was like a, oh my gosh, kind of moment. This is what people deal with on a, on a fairly, like a very regular basis. And I, I personally didn't really know how to speak about it. So now me trying to take that energy to a friend of mine who's lost someone even closer to him potentially than, than who I've lost. I'm like, I'm not, I don't even know where to start this conversation. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, I can relate to lots of that. And I think I've got something to offer around, around this. Cause I think I'm, I've thought about had thought about death a lot prior to mum passing, and I'd studied world religions. Uh, I'd studied big questions, and it meant that when this came, I um, I kind of had my mental house in order. That, that I wasn't. I was. I was left with dealing with the absence of mum, not some of the big questions around it. Um, so, like to give her in a context, so mum. Um, my pause isn't because I've got strong emotion here, guys. My pause is because I'm editing. Um, <laughs> yeah, mum, I'll look for the case of this conversation. Mum 
uh, deteriorated very quickly over six months. We kept on taking photos to the doctors because they looked at her like a little old lady. We're like, no, she wasn't a little old lady three months ago. This is what she looked like three months ago. When she went downhill. They couldn't find it. The, the medical system was absolutely horrendous. It, it was brutal um, in, levels of incompetence and passing around from one place to another, just sending them home. You don't have a problem. It was the stories are, are insane. Even up until just six weeks weeks ago. So what's today? Today's it uh, December sixteenth. We were in palliative care with her, and let's not worry about all that. How we got there, but she passed eventually. Two days before she died, they said, "Oh, it's cancer," <clears throat> but they hadn't been able to find it. But we were sitting around her bed, saying goodbye, and uh, and there's only two chairs in the room. We're trying to hold hands at two in the morning, and with mum and. And I went into the nurses and said, oh, can we have a, an, another couple of chairs in here? And they said, oh, no, because of COVID, we're only allowed two chairs in that room. Like, I was like, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, it's fucking December, what was it, October 28, 2022. You're, you're fucking kidding. And I didn't get mad. But uh, oh, I was just in disbelief. I said, my mum's on my deathbed, on a deathbed. Like, What? And, she, and the woman reiterated, the nurse reiterated, I oh, know we're not allowed to have another chair in there. And then another nurse was like, I'll be down in a minute, you know, just to sort of be moral support. I said, no, no, no. no. Like I was, so there was this, this, like they would say to us, oh, you can have anything you want, anything you want, like any way we can support you guys. And my sister said, well, I'd just like to drink my cup of coffee next to mum. Oh, sorry, you can't take your coffee in because of COVID rules. Like this is, it just was on and on and on. There's so, there was so much pain and anger around that so uh eventually when she passed um which was which was tough i, I kind of lost my train of thought there but when she passed um we were all here and my sister got there and like it was it was it was we talked about a lot we'd had a lot of pain before and there'd been almost more tears before she died when my wife's mum died, it was such a shock. A lot of the tears came afterwards. So it seemed like there was this processing to do. Um, up and so, so when she died, um, excuse me for losing my train of thought here, but there's so many things I want to sort of filter through. But she, I felt that pain that you're feeling. I felt it quite quickly. Like I got the call in the morning and I'd already decided based on previous growth and learning in this space that mum was around, that, that she didn't go, not, not right away. I, I kind of think about at the moment, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm right, but this is where I've got to after much of the thinking that when someone dies, it's almost like a fart in a room. The, the, the energy's still there and it just floats <laughs> around for a while. And I have no better explanation than that. So I had seen a woman killed many years ago and my spiritual beliefs at the time after a lot of reading and studying world religions was that there was an energy around a person uh, for some time. Now, whether or not that's right, I've got no idea. It could be a complete fallacy. But when she died, I spoke to her and um, I said, you know, it must be time for you to go and your kids will be okay. I'm sure your family will be okay. I'm talking to this dead body and uh, letting her go. Whether it be right or wrong, at least it feels respectful. But And then my mate who's an ambulance driver, he said, hang on, have you ever seen someone die before? I said, no. And he said, so you're, you, you've just seen her killed, you've done first aid, and now you're saying goodbye. And you're fine. And I was like, yeah. Dude, yeah. where was this? What happened? Oh, there was a woman. She was uh, hit by a, a truck. Um, yeah, and oh. I, was, I, was, I saw it happen, so I just pulled over and ran and 
in oh. gay first aid. And, oh, dude. Yeah. So, so, and I'd also actually remember seeing my best friend killed when I was a kid as well. It was a similar sort of circumstance. He got killed at a, at a country, at a, at a, at a town fair and we were only grade six and there's nothing I could do. And oh, I, don't, I don't really want to, that I don't mind telling my stories, but I don't want them to be distractions because it's easy to tell these stories and then, um, I think the learning from them is more important. So mm, sure. I guess like when I said, when mum died, I, I, I had got to a point where I was able to talk to mum right away, believing she's around me, whether that's right or wrong. My, my first experience of death was when my dog died and I couldn't believe that when a dog died that that personality was gone. It really challenged me. And I mean, that when other people died and they went to hell and stuff, I was like, oh, that made me challenge the church. And and then when I saw Glenn die, when we were just kids, I was a grade six. And when I saw this woman die, so I probably had a few reference points of death, my uncle and grandparents, et cetera. But this is the first one I probably had really thought through what I thought. And I'd cleaned my house of uh, unhealthy baggage. So for example, when my granddad died, my dad was sad, but my uncle, who's very religious, thought um, he didn't, never went to church, so he's burning in hell. So you've got the loss of someone. And you've also got a belief that makes it even more painful. So when mum died, um, the things that you were talking about all came up. And one, we have the absence of mum. Like, where you go to the house and she's not there and the conversation changes. And, but you've also got the issue of the connection not there. The, but that's the conversation I would have with mum, which I can see you talking about with, uh, with your uncle and your nanny. You're like, hang on, there, there was conversation. Now, so it, and I think that's like a, an octopus with a tentacle that doesn't go anywhere. It's like, where does this tentacle fit? Where does this connection happen? And I think some people are in a lot more pain because the level of connection I had is possibly not, not replaceable. Um, there's other times of the pain is that they have come to negative conclusions about the death. Um, and there, I think at its core, there's also, for me, there's a lot of pain. If I get focused on the absence of my mum, so I'm likening it a lot to if I've got a sore ankle and I keep testing it to see if it's better. Well, no, it's not better, actually. There's a lot of pain there. And when mum died, I was fine during the day and I was really consciously celebrating her, being so grateful for who I had. And I had this opportunity to have this wonderful mum and childhood. But then that night when I was in bed, I started to think about that mum will never come in my house again, which was an absence, right? That's where she fits in. And I had a panic attack like I've never had before. I couldn't breathe. I sat up and I was crying so much that I snotted up and I couldn't breathe out my nose and my chest was so heavy. I couldn't breathe out my chest. Like I, was, I was actually terrified that I was going to almost suffocate. <clears throat> and I had to really rope it in. It was terrible. And I think it only went for about half an hour. So I had to get up, walk around. It was terrible. But I had this moment where I realized if I was to think about the absence of my mum, and that's like a cliff and I'm fucked. But if I think about the, all the gift that I got from mum, the celebration, then I'm not in pain. It's like if I go to the gym and do every exercise except on my ankle, I'm all right. Like don't test your ankle. So if I think about the absence, there is pain from mum disappearing. But if I celebrate her, then I actually feel quite happy. I, I actually talk to her all day and I feel like she's still around. I feel like I know what she would say. Um, so 
that's something I've made, I think for the first time in my life, I understand gratitude where before it's like, oh, I should do a gratitude journal and be celebrated. I was like, no, if I don't do gratitude, I'm fucked. <clears throat> like I, if I just think about the absence. And so when you're talking about those things, I can see that with the level of emotion that surges, you, you can't separate or which is a, which is a absence of your friend, which is a, I don't have anywhere to have this conversation, which is me having a negative, negative conclusion about where they've gone, which is me not being grateful and only connecting to the pain, you know, and having never done it before. So I feel like there's a lot to unpick and I don't think everybody's capable of having that conversation. I know I've had that conversation with a lot of people and helped them unpick it. Um, but I was also surprised at how many people were so terrified of the conversation. They couldn't look me in the eye, mention it. It became ridiculous. Like mm. it's the elephant in the room. Um, so yeah, this is like, a, like the thoughts of where we started. I, I, I said, you know, so just because I know when I listen to these things, I'm like, oh, hang on, he missed the story. Well, how did she die or <laughs> what happened there? And, but, um, yeah, so at the end of the day, we were left with the, the death of mum. And then I feel like I was in a pretty good space to deal with it. But my sister is not in as good a space because she was looking after mum every day. So now she's got the absence. My absence was mum's not going to come into my house. But when I'm at work, I didn't see mum anyway. So I'm at work, I don't even notice necessarily. Um. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's a blurt of roughly. Uh, it's yeah. it's really interesting, man. And and one of the things that you mentioned that I I find so fascinating is is I guess is it perspective or interpretation or or I guess beliefs about what's taken place. And you're right. Like you mentioned, your your wife's got an Irish background and like a rich Celtic history there. And there's that's the interesting thing with Australia, I think. And and I guess the West in general, in a lot of respects, is. As, as much as we sort of tap into this idea of spirituality and yoga and meditation and things like that, it's like they're all great, but the idea of actually being equipped with tools to navigate through life's big questions like, okay, uh, mum's past or such and such past, what does this mean for me? It's, it's really interesting and, and, and it is amazing like anything else, just how big an impact the way you're interpreting the event has on, has on your own life. Like, Man, there's a there's a couple at our church. They're named Nick and Jenna. Amazing couple. Like the the most you, you meet them. Most... Oh, dude, I've lost you there. No, my bad. I put it on mute because I was eating something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my bad. My bad. Um, now you mentioned these guys that, that they they'd lost a child, hadn't they? Yes, yes. And, found and it was we like a, this last time, yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah, it was a it was like a, a tragic event. I can't remember if I told you, but essentially it was just like that horror story where where Jenna was reversing the car. And the, the one-and-a-half-year-old, you know, one thought she was watching it, the other thought he was watching it, from what I understand. And you hear that and you're like, okay, that just that just rips your heart out and chucks it on the floor and, like, you just never recover from that. And I'm sure to a degree, like, that, like that scar at least is, is always going to be there. But you meet these guys. This accident happened two-and-a-half years ago, I think, and I didn't know them then. And they're, he, both of them are the most laid-back the most lovely, most friendly, most present people that you meet. Like I was having this chat with Jesse yesterday. We said, isn't it funny how we haven't known them for that long, but they're that kind of couple that I feel like I could just go to and just spill the beans on all the, pro like there's no sugarcoating anything with them because you feel like they, they just see through it. They've been through too much in their own life. There's no need to have to play that game of, um, hey, look how, look how much I've got it together because they'd be the first to say, hey, we weren't, we didn't have it together. 
But what's amazing about that, coming back to this idea of perspective, is they and they took their their beliefs as Christians, you know, obviously with them to the funeral, mm. and had this idea that okay, well, obviously this is a, a devastating impact. It's a devastating event that we we would have done anything to prevent from happening, but it has happened, and they said we're going to make this a the most uplifting, positive experience celebration of her short life that we possibly can they were explaining to us that they had i think they had nine thousand people tune into the or it was four thousand maybe it was in the thousands say four thousand people tune into the live stream of the funeral and they said for the heaviness and the darkness of of what this event was it was one of the most crazy positive experiences of a death that so many people had ever had and and Dana was saying to us that so many people for them it was a breath of fresh air and it it kind of, um, I don't know if you say it, it removed some of the fear of, of death for some people, but that was kind of the, the way that she painted it. And it is interesting because in so many people's lives now, whether, and you said you studied world religions and, and I'm fascinated in religion as well. Um, it's interesting when you remove the core tenets of someone's culture, which to a big degree happened in, in the West and especially here in Australia, like when you lose something like that, I, I guess a lot of the time people are just left like, well, okay. so that's it. In the process of throwing out their faith or religion, they've thrown out ritual. And ritual, like buying presents for Christmas, is is the backbone of our community. So they've rejected religion because they think, oh, this doesn't make sense or, you know, you it's been poorly led or whatever. Yet it needs to be replaced with something like from the, from the Christian point of view, if you look at Jesus' story, he's about to die and he goes, guys, let's have some wine and bread. Like, like that's what we all do. We all, we all eat, come around, we share a meal. Like, I would have done that too. And he would have gone, raised a glass and gone, like, oh, I'm saying this because not as a Christian, but as from watching the story, it logically makes a lot of sense. Goes, guys, next time you're having a wine, remember me. Fair enough, right? There's, <laughs> so then we throw out the religion and then... Does that mean we don't share a wine with our friends? That makes no sense. So you're right that we we have people do end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. They don't, they they go. I don't like something, so I'm rejecting it all, and then you're left with this emptiness. Now I definitely have had that challenge recently too, where I eventually threw out all religion and all beliefs, and now I'm left with what do I really believe about where Mum's at and death, and uh, because that whole part thing is good but it means it just uh, disperses eventually and then eventually not around at all <laughs> i'm like i don't know if i want to believe that you know yeah. I, I also think that there's some immortality to mom because she truly lives in me and you know like, god there's i've got some i've had some ripper conversations with people around this um what happened before mom died on that actually <clears throat> I'm just muting myself occasionally, guys, folks here. So if you think that audio is bad, it's it's not Tyson's fault. It's because I'm coughing. <laughs> not pressing the mute button. Um, I, I had a conversation with um, a friend who he'd said, uh, I said, look, you know, mum's she'll die at some point. And how did you handle it? And he said, uh, he had a mentor that said to him, when there's, when someone you love dies, there is the screaming and gnawing and the gnashing of teeth. And then we just go to work again. And, then it said, that's what happened to me. He said, I, I, my mentor had said that. So when mum died, we had the funeral, I think it was. And he said, the next day I went to work and he saw all his patients during the day. And then he, 
and then he said in the lunch break I came home and I was I screamed and I ground my teeth and he, it was it was brutal uh, and I had the same experience right before mum died actually and he said it was just terrible and he said I was watching a, a crappy zombie film that was on TV or something and he said there was this line in it that just said you know like well they're not dead they're they're in you now you you know their qualities are living in you you're, you're you are them you are you're their legacy and uh, he said and from that moment it just stopped but there was no more tears and I, I found that to be definitely true that there's a legacy that mum lives in me and it seems more logical and less reliant on um, some sort of spiritual belief of an afterlife um, it's like a handing of a baton of certain ways of thinking and doing things which feels really good and yeah, when I look at it, it's really good. But I also think that I'm not naive of the fact that I'm not being as challenged as much as my dad. He's got his far partner of 50 years is gone. Like he's he's doing quite well because he's being active and that is just distracting himself from the issue, really. And I have no issue with distracting himself from the issue. And and um, just coughing again there, folks. Uh, <laughs> so I have no issue from, from him distracting. I called, I spoke to my mate Damon who lost his mum when he was 18 and I said, um, mate, how did you handle it? He said, says, Dobbo, I'm a bloke. I just buried that stuff down deep and just got on with life. <laughs> and I was like, I said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And <laughs> and it wasn't that we're burying it down deep as far as uh, not addressing it. It's that if I dive into it, I'll, miserable forever and so it was not like a case of oh there and therefore i had a dysfunctional relationship and wasn't open and all these sorts of things it was the case of i've got a bad ankle i'm going to find another sport that doesn't require the ankle to be used um so these conversations are quite big when i spoke to ben about that he was able to talk articulate about the loss and generally people who have lost someone generally can talk, keep up with you a little bit on this stuff our shock though was when mum died there is a culture in Australia where everybody then kept away and their response was, Oh, I'll just leave you some time with the family or something. I don't know what it is. And so where everybody beforehand was texting, Hey, how's your mom thinking of you? When mum died, everything stopped. There was not one casserole at the door. There was not one visitor. And we are big social people. Uh, social we're in we're, you know we're in the community there was nobody there was only i think out of my entire network i got two bunches of flowers and they're from clients like it was extraordinary that that people didn't know what to do so they thought i need to give you space and my wife is watching the five of us, my two sisters and my dad and my wife, Brona, sit around at mum and dad's house trying to plan a funeral and, um, you know, having the, having the minister come over and all that kind of stuff and working out the coffins. And she said, it's just the five of us sitting in the same dark space and it's not getting broken up for the entire time between the funeral. It said like nobody pops over and has a cup of tea and shares a story. No, it said we're still cooking food. In Ireland, when her mum passed, there is a culture that the funeral happens in three days and everybody races to the house. They go to the local church or wherever and community, they get huge big pots so they can make endless cups of tea. The coffin stays typically open in the house and someone's with it the whole time. 
uh, with the body the whole time. But the house becomes this absolute hub of activity. Everybody comes to support and everybody's telling stories about them. I remember this, I remember that, or isn't that sad? And let me hear your story. And I liken it to a game of cards where if we're all playing cards and one person gets up to answer their phone and they leave and they don't play the cards, the game stops. So for us, we have five days or something like five, six days of no conversations with anybody about mum passing, even though it's the biggest issue on our mind. And it's like the game stopped mm. where as soon as somebody did pop in, I call someone, I have to be proactive about it. Um, then you need to have a bit of a talk about it. It's like you could move the game forward and you could move your emotional and mental processing forward. And when we were at the funeral, I mentioned this. They said, oh, I don't know, talk my mates. And I said, oh, no. They said, oh, you know, it's, I don't know what they said, something that provoked me to say, guys, no, we've had no support. And they're like, what? And they're shocked. And I said, and I wasn't bitter. I said, no, I said, no, with no, no casseroles, no food, no, how are you? Nothing. And they were shocked. And I left and I wasn't, I just was talking about it because I had asked. And two things came up off the back of that. Brian later went and spoke to my mates and, uh, and they were like, oh, we had no idea. Like, oh, I didn't want to call. I didn't want to interrupt. And Bruno said, well, Mark's an adult. If he didn't want to answer the phone, he just wouldn't answer it. And then they all had this aha where they're like, oh, my God, yeah, what was I thinking? And the second one was people's instinct to say, to tell me directly, Dobbo, if you need help, you got to reach out. And that is absolute fucking bullshit. When someone dies, you don't know at all what you need. You you don't you can't make good decisions even remotely. Now I knew that from previous death experiences. So I called my EA and just said, just fix everything. Just fix anything. I don't give a fuck how you do it. Because mm-hmm. I know if it comes to me, I'll make a bad decision. What's a what's an EA Dobbo? An executive assistant, a PA. Uh, an ass- oh, a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so she just looks after <laughs> stuff for me. So and I told and I and I. Um, and so that was, that was great because she, she filtered some stuff, but, uh, as far as like making decisions, but we don't know what we need. Now I heard on a podcast some time ago where this guy had lost his teenage daughter or something in a car accident. It was traumatic. And he said, yeah, one of the best things that happened is a friend came and said, uh, just knocked on the door and said, Hey, um, I'm here. I'm just going to sit on the front porch. Hmm. And, uh, if you need me. And he sat there for like four or five days and I, not thinking about mum doesn't make me cry. Thinking about that guy makes me cry because mm. that's what you need is you just need a rock. And I look back to when Brona's mum passed away. We weren't dating. She was in Ireland and we weren't in a relationship. Um, we were best friends, I guess, in many ways. But I got a text to say that her mum had a heart attack and two days later I got a text to say that she died and I got the text and I was about to text her back and I was like, no, fuck it, I'll call her. And, and she, she answered the phone and she had just stepped away from her mum's body. Like she'd been holding her hand, body had finally gone cold. And then she stepped away and answered the phone and we had a proper chat. Like I called and I, and I, I think even though Ireland's got a different <clears throat> culture, it's it, it, the, the, the consistency that's absent in many people's ability here is, well, they, they're first off their instinct is to not turn up. And you got to turn up in any way. You, you got to 
send flowers, you got to shoot a text. You, it's okay to bring it up. It's the only thing that person's thinking about. They're not, yeah. you can't provoke any more emotion than they're already feeling. Yeah, and point. if you do provoke emotion, it's got nothing to do with you, you selfish dickhead. Mm. They're crying because of their loss, loss. Not because you might have said something, but it's like if I knock someone's ankle, it's like you knock their ankle. It's like it was an accident. It's they've got to be able to sort that out. And the second part is that you've got to be able to sit with what's uncomfortable. And it, it is uncomfortable to see somebody cry. And I think that's what happened through the COVID period too. People just didn't know how to deal with discomfort. So what became clear over this journey was at Brona's observation, she just kept on every day going, this is bullshit. Like, where are your friends? Where are your family? They're not even turning up. And uh, and that's when I made the decision to contact you. I was like, yeah, this, these are good people acting so incompetently. It was extraordinary. Um, and, I, and even my friends listen, it's like it's certainly not pointed at them. It's really something that we've never been taught. We just haven't been taught. And I think the fact that I've behaved differently when people have died um, is probably just because I'm a bit of an outlier and I've studied it a lot and it's sort of more my, my, my job, I guess. But um, yeah, so that was, that, that was the guts of what I observed as a, when I was going through my grief is that people, they just weren't there for me. And I think that they, they keep saying, but I wouldn't know what to do. And you don't actually have to do anything. It's like the guy, you just sit on the porch or you just turn up and say, I'm here for a cup of tea. I'm going to make you a cup of tea. Like I'm not even fucking asking, can I come in? I'm here to make you a cup of tea. Mm. And you go, okay, you know, I brought you a sandwich. Here it is. It's like, Hey, I brought three photos of your mum, So you can remember, I've been thinking about me. Here's three photos. Aren't they fucking great? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's usually acting on that instinct that the thoughts that you're having just to, to act on them. Um, we did have, you know, what, what is culturally very clear is that in, Australia, the culture is turn up to the funeral. So everybody was at the funeral. And like you said, at the funeral of your friends, people were asked about it later and everybody got said, oh, it's probably, I think that's the best funeral I've ever been to. But that's much because we designed the service and we all spoke and, uh, and mum was a pretty uplifting kind of lady. But uh, everybody was at the funeral and, and some of them were just so distraught uh, because that when they were destroyed for our pain, and I was actually giving them a hug. Hey, we're not, <laughs> and and so that's not necessarily, uh, it's yeah, I'm not saying that's not helpful, but they were still there. I still remember every single person that was at the funeral. Uh, it's not that I don't remember who wasn't there, but I remember who was there. Mm. Um, and it's like I would remember who sat on my front porch. And I remember who sent me flowers and, and I'm like, okay, so they are emotionally capable going forward. Like what we learned through COVID, who can actually handle difficulty if things get worse in this world? Yeah. What do you, what do you put it down to, Dobbo? Because it is interesting that, um, that you mentioned in, in Ireland, it's just such a different experience. And obviously, like we've got, both got origins with, like we've got spiritual roots mm. at the sort of base of our nation to a degree, but like, is that what it is? Because I know some cultures, for example, they just prioritise different things. I was watching a clip on Instagram yesterday of little Japanese students. They they were like pre-primary age, four or five, and they were getting taught courtesy lessons. So they were all sitting in rows like they were on a bus and then they would have a girl walk down the aisle to a particular seat and the boy had to stand up and offer the seat and then stand there. And then they were doing this for – and it was really cute to watch. I thought, oh, 
I never had an education like that on this particular topic at school. I was sort of just, my mum sort of gave me a nudge every now and then if there was someone older than me or a lady and she said, hey, give her your seat. I'm like, no worries, whatever you say, ma. But, um, but mm. when it comes to death and grief, there's, that's another thing that I've never been taught about. A lot of it has been just, all right, well, you're in it, deal with it the best you can. And I wonder how much of uh, that being the case is the reason that so many of us are so bad at not only experiencing grief in our own lives, but but offering the support that people who are experiencing it need. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the religious text is that the sins of the father are passed to the son. The sin means, I think it's Greek for, oh, would it be Greek? Probably not Greek. Anyway, it, its origins are sin meaning off target. So when you shot an arrow at a target, it missed and they would yell sin. It was off target. So I, I, I think that if a parent doesn't know how to deal with death and they just pass that on. So when my friend Glenn died when I was in grade five, grade five it was, mum came and told me in the morning and said, you know, Glenn passed away and, and uh, we both cried together. And then, and she said, look, it's probably best Mark because his injuries were so bad that he, he was, he was changed a lot. And uh, of course it's not best. It's that, he died like what's best is he's alive but mum had said look you know this had gotten so critical and you know if he was to live then the consequences were poor like what would have been best for the accident not to happen obviously but but i got to school the next day or something and i said oh, glenn died and i said oh it's probably best and then all my friends are like you think glenn should have died and but i didn't even give a shit i thought they were just idiots but <laughs> i can see that their parent hadn't necessarily had the same chat or i who knows how they had any chat some of them probably said, oh, it was an outrage that this happened or someone's fault. There would have been a lot of blame. Um, I also, then Brone also has an experience when her dad died when she was, oh, I can't remember what age it was, probably nine or 11 or something around there. And she remembers going back to school after he died and nobody talking about it except for the one kid that was a social outcast at school that she wasn't really friends with came up to her and said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. And she hardly even remembers her childhood friends, but she remembers that girl and they weren't friends. Mm. And and surely that is just a parent that has said to her in some way, Hey, you know, go and say something nice to Brian, just like you say, Hey, get off the chair for the, you know, for the, for the, the lady. Um, so I think, I think it is that it just hasn't been handed down. And I, I think that uh, people, I wonder if sometimes, I don't think people actually want to get better at shit. Like, I, I think that, you know, I don't like making conclusions that are, uh, are negative. I, I prefer, but I do recognize sometimes you got to get to what's true. I'm not sure that I, I think that people are quite happy just to sweep. Oh, they died, and I was just sweeping under the carpet now, and let's move on. Let's not actually think. Geez, could I've handled that better? One of the experiences my sister is having at the moment is that she said she, she wishes she was in a country where you just wore black and mourn for a year because yeah. she's really mourning. Yeah. But people are openly saying to her, so are you better now? Are you okay now? And she's like, it's been six weeks. I've just nursed my mum for the best part of a year. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not fucking better actually. And people are almost tired of her not being in a good space. And, and I think that's the, the next part of death, right? There's a, okay, there's the before death, there's the death, and there's the, 
are we turning up? And then there's the funeral, which we're good at turning up in this country. And then there's the, the follow-up. Um, I think culturally we don't have any kind of mourning ritual that allows somebody uh, the, the, the permission to do it. I think when COVID hit and you got COVID, you had to stay at home for seven days. So culturally said, oh, yeah, you're sick. Take seven days off. Historically, if you got sick, well, you know, take a cultural cold tablet and get back in. It, in some countries, you've got someone dies. You're like, hey, here's a year. Take a year off. Mm. You know, take of expectation. Um, mourn. And I'm sure there's times people say, oh, I don't need to mourn. But the, the, the expectation that uh, my sister is just straight back to normal is absolutely extraordinary. And it's really fatiguing because then you end up uh, having to almost break up with friends or say something to them, but you're already emotionally distressed. And now you're trying to have a conversation with somebody who's not capable of this conversation. So now you've got a, a, a dynamic, you know, friendship or whatever, like a people, human relationship that is now a bit dysfunctional because they go, well, you didn't handle that very well. You didn't have to be like that. And they just don't get that you're actually pretty fucked. Hmm. So, yeah, and I think, I I wonder if, I often observe a culture and say, how did it get there? And if you look at the American culture of there's guns and they they haven't really managed to, you know, curb that in any way, you look at all the early films, all their films, all their films are about cowboys and Indians. It's always been a culture of guns. And if you look at Australian films, there's always been a culture of a pub fight. And if you go back even earlier, it was convicts. And I just wonder at its core, people come over here, someone died. There's no opportunity that we just got to manage it. Cause everybody, you know, that its core was a convict culture and it's like, Oh, they're dead. Come on, move on. And we've just got the remnants of how it was handled back then. have just trickled all the way through. Mm. Uh, and unless you brought your culture here and then, um, deliberately say, well, I'm still going to operate by a Muslim or Orthodox faith or something, you, you know, you get hardcore about it. But mm, like, I'll, we've got Catholic friends, Muslim friends, uh, Pentecostal friends. I, I was still shocked. It wasn't, a, it, it really was, had nothing to do with their faith or religion. It came down to like a paralysis. Mm. Yeah. That's what James said to me yesterday. He said, uh, he goes, I've certainly learned a lot about how I'm going to treat my friends in the future in a lost situation like this. He goes, it's just people, like you've been saying, people have no idea how to act. And to go to your wife's point about um, like wishing she lived in a culture where she could just wear black for 12 months. Yeah, my sister. Yeah, yeah sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, your sister. Phil's wife was, she's Macedonian. I think traditionally um, in Macedonia, that was a, a ritual that a lot of people used. I know it was in uh, Yugoslavia where my grandma's from Montenegro. Like you get the tick of approval to go, okay, well, you know, here's a, mm-hmm. here's a period of time that you get to, <laughs> you get to mourn. And there's something freeing about that because when you're giving, when, when your, you know, society, so to speak, gives you 12 months to say, okay, this mm-hmm. is what you're dealing with. There's a lot that can be navigated in 12 months. Like the idea of being asked the question, are you doing better after six weeks? It, it is ridiculous to anyone who's lost someone close because Obviously, the answer is no. <laughs> the expectation that uh, that you should be better—it's just a—it's it, a ridiculous standard. So, I I like that idea of um, of letting it breathe a bit. One of the best things that that Jesse and I did after a while was, and I, I you know had a similar experience to you where I don't think people realise when you say you lost your grandma, when you say you lost your uncle, people go, oh, okay, it's nothing, 
super close. So I don't think even my closest friends really realized in that situation how much I was struggling. But after a couple of months of us just trying to navigate it, and I'd just been burying my head in the sand, trying to keep myself busy. I flew to New Zealand to do a course because I thought I had depression and had to just be solved through this course. And just nothing was working. And then we came back and um, on the Mornington Peninsula, we went up to Red Hill for, uh, for, for those of you who aren't sort of in Victoria or Australia, Red Hill, it's a, I guess it's not really a country town, but it's a kind of a, you know, it's getting towards country. There's, there's not a, it's a winery region. It's yeah, a winery exactly. Region. Exactly. So you're surrounded by nature. You're surrounded by just beautiful scenery. We went up there for a week and just got an Airbnb. And it was the first time I think that I was like, all right, I'm not just going to bury my head in the sand. I remember just going out and going for some runs and doing a whole lot more crying and just talking to Jesse and sitting down and reading a book. And remember I, I uh, who was it? Um, I've forgotten the name. I, I, I took a, I might even be on my shelf here, but I took up a book, St. John of the Cross, I think it was. It's like a Catholic book, and it was talking about navigating suffering, essentially, and dark, A Dark Night of the Soul was the title of the book. And I, I felt mm. like just based on that title, that was what I was experiencing. I was like, okay, this is, something's off here. Like, and I know this is a darkness that I haven't felt before. But for me, getting up there and actually just looking, looking in the eyes of what it was that I was dealing with was, was so beneficial. Like I like, I like the idea of getting the community around me. I like that a hundred percent. That's what we need. But for me, I felt like just the idea of sort of burying my head in the sand and going on with life as usual wasn't working. It just always resulted in a panic attack or, mm. <laughs> or I don't yeah. know what, maybe I just wasn't good at fooling myself that much, but yeah, for that week I came back and I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent, but it was, <clears throat> I remember about the fourth day up there going, okay, this is, there's something that something's happening up here. It just it feels good. It hurts a little bit, um, but it yeah, was but like it's cathartic. It's, it's a, it was it's cathartic, a, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, on that, it's an interesting one because so my wife, when she said that when her mum died, she just wanted to bury herself in a hole and and not leave her room and just cry forever, and she actually hated that everybody was coming to the house. Like it was, you know, she didn't necessarily want everybody there but she said she had gone in such a child state that if she didn't have people dragging the next thing get dressed for this come on we're doing that and having a laugh she said that she would have just been in a a, a horrendous hole terrible hole and possibly wouldn't have come out and then when she saw what we went through she realized oh my god i'm glad i had it my way with the people just keep on moving forward. At least there were people there as much as I didn't always want to talk to them. Now she had a different experience. And I think this is really important that no two people's experience of death is right. So when I'm suggesting these things, I don't think there's a formula. I do think that a principle for support is to turn up. I, I think that's all, all the message that I think I would hope that people would take away. That's why I wanted this podcast. I wanted people who listen in the future to turn up in any small way. You will be giving your loved ones, your friends, a gift that, that, that is rare. It's precious. So she had this experience where she, she had the, uh, a shock. So w- we knew it was coming. So we dealt with and had a lot of tears before mum died. So the shock wasn't there. So we had this silence afterwards. She had a shock. So she had a lot of processing to do. And it is very difficult to process uh, when everybody's around you. So sooner or later, you have to process it. And you had life had demanded that you keep on moving, maybe you hadn't recognized and eventually you get to this point where you've got to sit still with your thoughts. When, when Brona's mum died and I did phone her, uh, I got off the phone and 
I said to my sister, I said, I think I've got to go. I've got, I've got and uh, I've got to go to Ireland. And uh, because that's where it had happened, I, I may have missed that in the story. But and then my sister was like, Yeah, I think you do too. Now, I'm not in a relationship with Brona, like, she's just a friend. And then I said, Dad, I'm going to go to Ireland to support Brona. And uh, and he's like, well, What are you going for? And I said, Well, anybody would, Dad. And he said, No, they wouldn't actually. Uh, and then I mentioned us, I was going to the airport and I just had coffee with um, Mel and Jess and they was like, so, so you're going to you're going to Ireland to support Brona, and they're looking at me kind of weird. They were supportive, but it was a big move. Um, yeah. But I just knew I had to go. And I now look back and realise how rare that was, and how now that I'm on the other side of death and seeing how people can't even bloody send you flowers <laughs> or shoot you a fucking text message. The idea that you're hopping on a plane to fly to the other side of the world just to be at a funeral, like fuck. No wonder they Seriously. all thought I was a fucking idiot. Honestly, um, honestly. Yeah. Do you say, were you guys dating at this stage? No, no, but we no owned a house you, No wonder you sealed the deal. No wonder you sealed the deal with that kind yeah. of commitment. Well, it was interesting because a couple of things happened on that journey. One, I, I sent her an email in advance and I sent it to her and her best friend because if I just sent it to her, I didn't want her to have the responsibility of me being there and got to entertain me. So I sent it to the two of them sort of saying, hey, I'm coming like to the group, not to, not to you, Brody, because it was too much of a burden. Like I, I knew I could feel that. I said to her, B, when I get there, I can sit in your pain with you. Mm. And uh, I did. You know, when I got there, everybody, time she started to talk about something that she was worried about, she just, people would just change the topic and I would go, you know, yeah, you, I would just sit in the pain like you did, like when you went away and with Jess sat with you. It's, she was in your pain with you for those, those five or seven days. And people often are uncomfortable being around people are uncomfortable being uncomfortable and they're scared but oh god if she starts talking about that what will i say and we oh let's move it on anyway you got to cheer up and what i find is that you don't actually stay in intense motion for that long like you don't laugh all the time once if you start to make somebody laugh you don't go oh, fuck i've made them laugh they might keep laughing all oh fuck then. <laughs> <Ain't> right <laughs> so true yeah but yeah it doesn't make sense so if you make someone cry yeah. it's not like oh fuck they're gone forever it's like they're gonna cry for a bit and then they'll come around they usually just make a joke and go Oh, well, let's have a cup of tea and move on. So a, a big part of that was letting her know I, I can sit in your pain and, yeah, and I can I can just turn up. And then when I got there, everybody said they lost my bags. So I turned up to the end of the funeral, didn't make it in time. I turned up to the wake afterwards and everybody's dressed like a million bucks and I'm in the shittiest fucking outfit. <laughs> and I turn up and I'm standing there and nobody walks across say hello to me because nobody knows who I am. And somebody says to Bruno, who's that? He said, she said, that's the co-owner of my house. <laughs> I guess <laughs> probably together. <laughs> did she know? Did you say she knew at that stage that you were coming over she for it? She knew I was coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. She did. Um, and it was a lot for her to process too, like almost like a why are you here? But that was that was a tiny part of the question. The the bigger part was just, oh my God, thank you. You like it just it was just support. It, and I didn't have any expectations. I wasn't going there because I love with her i definitely was going there because i loved her and cared um and you know i know that's a bit of an outlier story but but it's consistent in it's consistent in where there's warmth i find it's just turning up like that person that sits on the front porch you know uh you know i actually had to call out another friend of mine who's giving me grief about something else and i said look when mum died you, you didn't reach out not even remotely and so you're getting arguing about something i'm like i don't give a fuck because you weren't there now that's not something that i just 
swing from the hip as in saying you should have been a, this was been a very strained relationship over back off the back of the COVID stuff and uh she was blaming everybody but herself for a whole lot of stuff and then i said now this is bullshit like you're just not just playing any character and she she uh she did really apologize after that because she's like fuck i didn't turn up and her and she said uh her mum had died and i'd been there for her and then she realized mm. she's gotten in her head and was narking she said yeah i got on the computer and she goes, I was halfway through ordering flowers and I don't know why I didn't finish. And the truth is why she didn't finish is because she's still pissed off with me about something else. I was having a fight and didn't want to like, you know, oh, I don't want to, you know, have, you have a win. And I'm like, oh, it's just crazy. So I, I think there's a lot of, I got a call yesterday from somebody. It was six, been six weeks now since my past. And, and she said, oh, I think about your mum all the time. She was so sweet. And, and she hadn't turned up for the funeral, which I didn't expect her to because we haven't seen each other for a long time. But that phone call was so nice. And she didn't actually call me and say, how are you? Because you don't have a good answer. Like when you were in that patch, when someone said to you, how are you? You, you just fucking say whatever you got to say. Yeah. She just called up and said, hey, I've got some great memories of your mom and I've been thinking about you. And that's actually what you need someone to say. Hey, that's been front of mind for me. The Irish have got an interesting term. One of Brona's friends said to me today, she said, hey, tell Colin I'm asking about him. And it's not actually asking a question, how is your dad? It's let him know I'm asking. Let him know I, I'm thinking, I'm caring. And that is something we have a poor habit of in this country too, is asking how are you, as if that's a good strategy. Well, when someone dies, it's it's not necessarily the place to start. There'll be some grief expert out there. I'll have some fucking great model of this. But for my mind, if someone says to me, how am I doing? Yes, yeah, sometimes I can do that. But really, if they say, mate, hand on the back and go, mate, I, I know you lost your mum and, mate, that sucks. And, yeah. You know, I, she was a great lady. Like that, just to, just to mention the elephant in the room is, is actually sufficient, um, which is probably the same for, for you. If somebody just acknowledged your nan passed, you probably felt, thank God, like that's the thing that's front of mind. It's all I think about every day. Um, it's definitely, it's like I was going to say elephant in the room is the best description for it, isn't it? Because, yeah, everyone knows it's there, but it, no one wants to point it out. It's just a – it's very awkward. What are you – um? what are you going through now? Are you – like are you – it sounds like you've got so many new sort of takeaways and gleanings from mm. from the experience. But in, in terms of dealing with grief and navigating the actual – because six weeks, as we say, is very fresh. Mm. Like – are you in a particular phase of it now that you can put words to or yeah. it probably goes against everything we've just spoken about, but no, it's just uh, be curious to, to pick your brain in. Um, That's a good question but, because I actually like to talk about, I think it's healthy. Like I actually really enjoy the question and I think it, it sounds like a contradiction because I just said, don't ask how I am, but you're, that question's different. It's how are you in your grief? How are you managing grief? Is a different question to how am I? It might sound Maybe people who've lost someone can appreciate it. When you say, how am I, how, how are you? Like we all just regurgitate the same shit. Yeah, good. Work's good. Kids good. <laughs> you know, like, so when you say, how are you? You know, like dad always says, well, what are you, do, you fucking, do you really want to know the fucking answer? Because I'll tell you the truth, it's from pretty fucking shit. So don't ask me. You know. <laughs> yeah. If someone says to him, you know, mate, thinking about you, you know, I know you lost your missus and mate, oh, well, it's soldier on through the day. That's just that acknowledgement's great. As far as this question about how's grief going is, it's a good question because it is front of mind. I am going through my grief. Um, I, I wonder, I'm wondering if I'm a bit of an outlier here and that is a conflict for me 
I'm really good. And I'm scared that I'm being disrespectful to my mum by being so good. Um, I, I'm really focused on this gratitude thing. I'm really, not as a coping mechanism, it se- well, it is a coping mechanism, but it seems just to be the smartest thing. Like, mum was always going to die. Everyone's going to die. I can wallow in it or I can choose the characteristics of her and celebrate her. There are times when the hardest time is we haven't, we've told my daughter, she knows that Nana's in the sky and stuff, but we probably have not ever said to her, she's only, she was two and a half at the time or three at the time maybe. The whole she's dead thing is a bit heavy for where she's at. So we're not avoiding it, um, navigating it. But we probably need to be a bit more candid about there at the moment. Just, just it's like she's starting to say, oh, she's like, oh, we're not seeing Nana today sort of thing. No, we're not. So uh, there's a, you've got a journey here that that's fucking heartbreaking to tell a, a, yeah. your kid that they're not going to yeah. see Nana. Um, so I find because that's the absence, that's where mum would be. Mum would be giving presents and she would be giving hugs and sit and telling stories to the kids. So that's an area where mum's not there and that breaks my heart. Um, I'm, the pain's there if I connect to it. But someone said to my, my sister the other day, how are you guys? And it was in a context where it was, we were talking about mum, so it made sense. And she said, well, we're, we're, we're fucking terrible, actually. And he said, well, I should hope so. It's a pretty <laughs> important person in your life. That would make yeah. sense. Which was very helpful for, for my sister and for dad to hear that. It wasn't helpful for me to hear that. Because mm. I'm like, well, I'm not doing well. I mean, rather, I'm doing very well. Yeah. And therefore, am I being disrespectful? I don't think I am, but uh, I, I am a bit concerned sometimes at how quickly I've uh, moved on. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that, I find it quite challenging. My son still doesn't sleep through the night. He's been quite sick, and so we have some other real big challenges in our life at the moment. I just don't sleep. That's why my voice sounds like this. We just don't sleep. Um, so there's some other things that distract us from it. I, I've heard people say, oh, you know, the first Christmas tough and the first birthday, and then and then they say, yeah, and then the second Christmas and the second birthday, that it doesn't really go away. I definitely think it helps that I have done some spiritual work. So I'm okay. I'm probably nervous that I'm being disrespectful to mum. In, mm. in not in not crying more and not pining for her more, but maybe that will come at other moments. And, yeah. It's it's strange with the with the drawn out illnesses, like the the ones that you see coming. Mm. As you say, I, I found that with people who are around my uncle Phil in the lead up to his death. Like my dad, um, <clears throat> his brother, very good friends with him. Um, got along mostly throughout their life, and you know he was calling me regularly in London. And calling sometimes with Phil, just going, mate, he's he's not doing great. And Phil's out the back, going, yeah, shit, how's Tyson? Like I'm I'm struggling, buddy. Um, but one thing that was it was really interesting, and I don't know whether I'll do this, but Dad and Uncle Phil they went together, uh, and this was I think part of the grieving because my dad after his death was I think like you from what I could tell, he seemed to he was doing better than me, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because I think part of my dad's mourning, and it's so strange to say it out loud, but him and Uncle Phil, they 
they went for a drive around to all their childhood memories, like knowing that it was what they were doing. Like they both knew that they were, they were doing the, the oh, last tour yeah. together. But more than that, Uncle Phil went down to the, the Melbourne Cemetery and picked out his spot. And uh, like this is just the kind of character that he was. He, he, he found a spot that was next to an Elvis tribute and he goes, okay, this one's for me. And then him and Dad are, him and Dad are doing selfies there. Uncle Phil's been funny, like he's laying down like this. This is when he's sick as a dog. He's laying down in his spot wow. going, oh, I better get used to it. He sent me the photos. He goes, hey, Ticey, um, just thought I'd show you the new spot, a new piece. Of, he was right into real estate. He goes, hey, I just, I just got my, new, my newest piece of real estate, only little, but it should be fine. Make sure you come visit from time to time. And uh, when I saw that, like I was a blubbery mess. I was like, oh, my gosh, like you're taking the piss out of your own mortality in a way. And but but what was weird and it was I, I like the last sort of well I, st- I started going to a church in two thousand and seven because I, some of these questions really bothered me and then I had about a four or five year break from about twenty fifteen to twenty 2020, twenty or twenty twenty one maybe twenty sixteen to twenty twenty one and I remember sitting with Uncle Phil and I was like uh, and we, we were having a chat about uh, you know what we both knew was coming and uh, he said to me he's like how are you feeling he goes how do you feel that I'm going to die. And I said, "Oh, mate, I'm, <laughs> I'm devastated. <laughs> I like, I'm, I'm obviously." And I said, "Oh, like, how, how are you feeling?" Because I said, "You look like you're, you're dealing with it all well." And he said to me, and, and this was what was so interesting. The last couple of years, he started to get really involved in. Um, he would go to a Catholic church, but he started to ask the big questions. And he goes, "Well, for me, Tice, he goes, you've been in church for five years. He goes, do you, do you believe what you believe or, or what?" And I said, "Well." And he was referring to heaven and things like that. But, but one of the things that was interesting to me is he also had a great appreciation for other traditions and he could see the crossover between messages that were trying to be spoken. And Jordan Peterson speaks beautifully about this when, when it comes to archetypes and when it comes to the, the, the crossover points between um, just universal human experiences like life and death. And I think that's one thing that was very comforting to him, for him, that attitude. But I think that's one thing where some people, and, and my experience is in the Christian church, especially with your fundamental types, and you mentioned at the start, like this idea of burning in hell. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the time, and, and I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think a lot of the time we've, we've, we've missed the point of some of the messages. Like we use strong language to, to explain an idea, but like that's, I find it very hard to believe that that's a, a realistic possibility. Do you know what I mean? And I think sometimes I a lot get lost in the ter- interpretation. Um, and the the dog dogmatic approach to so much of of scripture, it's yeah. a lot easier to read something black and white and go, okay, well, that's just what it means then, than it is to go, okay, what what does yeah. that mean? There is a spiritual growth model that actually um, can sort of track where you are on how you respond to problems. And the first one is you're a baby, and you, and then the next one is you're a, a, a uh, like a toddler, but you or you're a sheep, you stick with the herd. And a lot of people you saw during COVID, they'll just go with herd. And then there's a next level where you're, you're like a bully and you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm like, a, you know, like a little kid might get, oh, I'm the best. This is my toy. And there are some people in the community that are like, I'll intimidate you. I'm, I'm a, it's a power God. And then if you get to a point where you're being a power God doesn't work. Like you watch the movie, um, say American History X, where there's this character that's violent and eventually realize he's violence and being the toughest and baddest doesn't work. And then he's like, oh, I've got to question that. Now he either goes up to another spiritual level or he, or he can regress. He can go, oh, I'm going to stick with a herd. You get these choices. And then the next one above that is rules. It's that I, I, there's rules for life. There's the law 
and there's medicine has rules and religion has rules. And so you get immersed in one of these and then you get a point where something happens in your life and you get challenged, whether it be a death or a conflict or a divorce or something major that your present framework doesn't allow you to process. And so then you are forced to go to the next level of spirituality, which is more like a, I'm crassly explaining this because I'm off guard, but it's more like an entrepreneurial state. Uh, I think that, I think they put it as an orange color. I don't know the term, but, but you know, the entrepreneur will often break some rules to make a new product happen. So there is a, a sense of, yeah, there's rules, but there's exceptions. And then after a while, you might do that for a while and realize oh, you have another challenge where something happens where you thought there were rules with some exceptions, but then you have something happen and your worldview doesn't, it doesn't solve this challenge. And so you go up to another level, which is where we have to more, be more communal, where it's more like the whole, um, the green movement. Let's all have a voice more democratic. Let's listen to everybody. But then you get to a point where that doesn't work because you can't solve it. And so you move up and up and up. And there are a lot of people that are uh, religions, which are, they're, they're the red. They're the it's I mean, the red. The, it's I think it's blue, but it's a it's a I I follow these rules, and this is what it says, and that's my rule until I get challenged. And I, when I was a kid, grew up in the Catholic Church, and I remember um, as I dived into it, a lot of things didn't make sense. The rules didn't add up, so then they just had this blanket rule: well, God works in mysterious ways. So <laughs> it's a good answer and, to a lot uh, of questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then somebody gave me a book called, but it does make sense. And, you know, it, it argued everything that why, why the, why the rules make sense. And, stuff. and uh, I was having these constantly having these questions, these conversations with people who were religious and realizing I was open-minded, but they weren't. And so I'd always end up being, being told I was wrong in some way or being made feel bad or as I was lost, I'll pray for you. You know, the conversation, oh, fuck, I'll pray for you. you know? <laughs> that's on the same par as God told me we're going to get married. So okay, that's just, yeah, yeah, I feel like yeah. John has some generous stuff. Is that like a wingman attempt from the church world? I heard yeah, that one. Like, well, last well. night I also dreamt that I was running around without my pants on. So is that like the same? <laughs> anyway, so I um, eventually, when I was traveling, I really started to question my faith and I was studying world religions uh, I did it at uni. I also sat, I had um, experience. I think I might talk to you about this on another time, but I did uh, Passover with Jewish community. I immersed myself in Ramadan with the Muslim community. I was on Aboriginal community and experiencing their uh, religions and their rituals. Uh, Navajo Indian, um, God, it goes on and on like um, Quakers. Like I really immersed myself and I listened and I sat with these elders and for, for a long time. But anyways, in this church in Berlin and, uh, I was, it was a big Gothic church. It was an ugly thing. The biggest pipe organ you've ever seen in your entire life. And it was, that was what it was famous for. And I was just sitting there in this quiet church and there's only about 12 tourists just walking around. And I said, eventually said to God, I said, God, I'm going to make a call. I'm going to say you don't exist. That's where I'm getting to. But if you want me to continue on any kind of journey, I'm going to need some kind of significant sign because I'm done with this shit. And that was a big deal because I was letting go of the, not the rules, but even the fundamental principle that there was a God, you know. And just then, somebody fell on the pipe organ and went, oh, and you see the person go, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll burst out laughing. I look at the huge pipe organ and I go, all right, I'll keep, I'll keep listening. I, was like, I, was in a, I want something real significant. And I'm like, I gave God an ultimatum. And it just happened that <laughs> So, I just uh, love that. Sorry. 
Yeah, it was great. It was great. And so I, I continued um, searching and, and thinking things through and, uh, and becoming brave enough to, to let go of the rules. Um, and that is quite scary to let go of the rules because what's on the other side, you know, you don't know what's coming next. And, and, uh, I, when I worked out, when I found the spiritual test, I couldn't work out where it was. And this person, a mentor pulled me aside away from the group and said, Oh, you're actually here. And it's like second from the top. And I felt like, I was like, no, 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 no. And uh, I said, because I do this and this, they, they slowed me down and, they were like, well, no, this one can actually alternate between them. And and I don't think I'm like, oh, how clever am I? I'm there because I've had so much pain that my worldview couldn't help me with, that I had no choice but like you to lock yourself away for a week to work this shit out. Mm-hmm. And I'd spent years almost in a pain trying to sort this shit out. And you have no choice but to say, well, that doesn't work. I've got to evolve. I've got to evolve. I've got to evolve. Like what is the answer? Uh, and so that, that's been a, a bit of a challenge too when we, you know, we say, how am I with the grieving? I, I'm not sure if I've, am I fucking loony or am I, am I just an outlier? And then the night before mum's funeral, somebody came around to Joe's house just to say, I will drop something off. And uh, it was great. We invited her in for a cup of tea and it was lovely. And she said, yeah, she'd nursed her sister to death. And when her mum died, her sister died, she said, I just felt amazing. <laughs> For months and months and months, I just celebrated. I felt her everywhere. And I was like, okay, that's what I feel. Like I, mm. I wasn't crazy. Um, but it was certainly interesting to have, you know, I just gone on that, that journey to work out what's on the other side, like, like your, uh, like your uncle was. And, and because I was able to, I was able to sit with my wife's pain, but also able to sit with mum's pain. And one of the big things when somebody is dying is, often people will respond to that like, no, no, you're dying. You'll, you'll be around for a long time yet. And that's really not helpful because that person knows they're dying. They're done. Uh, they know. And they are very lonely if you're not there with them. Just like if, if uh, yeah, if just say you're getting separated and, and someone says, no, no, you guys will work it out. You're like, actually, no, we, we fucking won't. So I, I need to find a place where I feel understood. Yeah. And uh, so – I think I, I regret a little bit. I took a while to be able to say to mum, yeah, mum, you're dying because that didn't feel like help, helpful. But as soon as she thought she was dying, I had to jump on board that and have that conversation. And then you are left with those spiritual things, like you said about your uncle, like her, us joking about what's going to happen. Me saying to mum, do you think you could come and visit me in my dreams? Mm. She said, I'll do my best too. And, and uh, they're fucking scary and beautiful conversations at the same time. Yeah, it is. That's one thing Jessie did so well with my nan is about two days before she died, she wrote her a um, she wrote her a big letter essentially oh. just saying, just, hey, thank you. I don't believe this is the end. Um, my nan was open to the idea of, uh, very open. In fact, she probably she probably would have called herself a, a Christian. Um, but she's very open to the idea that there was something more on the other side of this. And I'm not saying that because she's a Christian, she gets to access that. I just mean no. that, with yeah. that with that mindset, you understand what I mean? With that yeah. mindset, she was... Um, she was open to the idea that there might have been something else, and uh, I think I think that offered some sense of peace to her. But but what I was impressed with that that Jesse did, much like what it sounds like you did uh, at, at one point with your mum, was just acknowledge the fact that all right, we we know what's happened here. We're, you're not going to be around forever. Um, yeah, Jesse, she was saying thanks for the memories. I was too much of a 
I don't know if I was too much of a pussy or a bit closed minded, but it just it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the direction that I, I wanted to take. But I was so glad that that Jesse did it. And it was interesting what you said before as well about um you've been through so much pain in your life that you've it's probably no surprise that you're at the second highest level on that chart. But it, it's just the nature of it's the nature of humanity in every area, isn't it? Like I used to be a distance runner and you wanted to improve. Well, you had to you had to push your body to a limit that you were you had never been before. Try and get comfortable there and train yourself to go to that next level, like make that the new baseline. And I, I love a, a, a Carl Jung quote. He says, um, I think it's Carl Jung. He says, uh, that which you most, most need in your life is in the place that you, you least want to look. That's good, isn't it? That's really good. God, that's, that's core. I find like most of my work is trying to help people to have that aha moment. And then I can totally see how that relates to me too with some things in my life that I need. And I'm like, oh, it's just an inconvenient access. Um, it was what you said just then about Jess writing the letter and you not. I think that I totally get that. Um, you know, you're in shock. It's it's just too much to process, and that's a good example of her almost holding your hand, saying, "I'm saying this." She probably ran it by you, said, "I'm going to write this," and then you're able to chip into it and. That's the best because you are more traumatized than her. She, she, you, you're in trauma. She can function. And that's a good example of what I said earlier. People, when they're losing them, when you're really close to that person, you, you don't know what you need. You, you can't function. You need to be reminded to eat. Uh, and I, I feel in many ways I didn't have necessarily the same level of trauma on that when mum died, but we de- definitely did. There was, a, there was one time I said goodbye to mum and um, – I was driving and I just fucking lost it. I was screaming in grief and pain. So I, I, and that was difficult because mum was taking a while to die for want of a better term, because it was about six weeks earlier. We'd been sort of given the heads up. This is definitely a direction. So there'd be times I canceled things out of my diary. And then, so then all my clients were like, Oh, so your mum died. I'm like, no, she didn't die. So they're like, Oh, why are you canceling things from your diary in a way? Cause then next week you had to do it again. It just looked messy. Like they, yeah. Um, but I was actually doing the trauma that you were talking about then I was doing back then. So when it got to the funeral, there were people more distressed, but I'd already been through a lot of distress. I was more functional at that point. Mm -hmm. I had time. Uh, I had time for a lot of the conversations. Um, the, the other thing about the whole lot, a lot of pain for spiritual levels. Here's another thing that's interesting about those spiritual levels is like you with running, right? Someone who just runs a little bit and they see how hard you're, you're pushing, at first, they might think it's inspiring, and then they go, "Oh, that's a bit fucking much." Like, uh, he measures everything he eats. Like, oh my god! Like, he stretches everything. He, ca- he keeps a diary of it, and they think you're a bit loony. That also happens with the spiritual levels. So, when someone is say rules driven and they're heavily aligned to the, the structure of a church, when they see somebody who thinks they've evolved, you know, break a few rules, they actually think, you know, you're lunatic. You're a lunatic. So as I go up further up the spiritual things, and I fucking hate saying this, I'm up the spiritual ladder, but as you as you move up, you actually are judged to be crazy because that's just not how it works because we're not there. So even when I teach, if I do teach this stuff to an audience, I teach it sometimes in a performance course I used to run, there comes a time when you can see each person in the room just switch off because now you're talking about something that's just fucking nuts. That's just fucking bullshit. That's just loopy shit. And I had a CEO say to me one time, hey, Dubbo, I want you to run that performance thing with my team, but don't do that. That's spiritual shit. Like, that's all bullshit. 
and I'm like, well, it's actually not because I actually helped an athlete win a fucking Olympic medal with that model. Thank you very much, mate. I was going to say, I can't imagine someone getting away with saying that to you very easily. Oh, <laughs> well, he's going to write a big enough check. So I was like, sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep but, it out a little bit. But I also knew that he was at like a level where everything beyond, he's like, no, 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 that's like, it just, it looks lunatic. So mm-hmm. if you, if someone said, oh, I don't know, like if you say you meditate or you you think that you, you know, you talk to your nan up and some people go, oh, it's just, it's fucking nuts. They, they just, um, yeah, that's, what's very challenging. And that's why I think when people say, yeah, well, like the church kind of comes back to the rules, come back to the structure. Um, it, that's also what's challenging as you do grow, you become a bit of an outlier. That's what I think a lot of the talent that I advise and coach was to go back to start the conversation. How we're talking about Ananda being a visionary, me coming across as arrogant. Once you start to push into a certain distance, away from the bulk of the population, you end up becoming quite lonely or potentially lonely because nobody else gets you. Um, and there's some real challenges with that. So it, it, it's not necessarily, it doesn't feel like victory. Like, you know, like Elon Musk, everyone's like, I think might think he's a you know, business guru. Yeah, but I bet you he's bloody lonely because like who can keep up with him? Um, yeah. So, so that was the, um, that's the guts of what's going on. As I was driving here today, I was thinking about the things that needed to be said and um, there's lots of little veins we could take it down and I hope it's been interesting for the audience. I hope it's been helpful. I, I certainly don't want people to feel like the way they handle their grief, it should be right or wrong. I think the way you handled yours and I handled mine, they're just all different. And there's a good podcast about that. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, maybe I'll let you know, but there's an amazing podcast where everybody just actually phones in and tells their grief story. And then he just puts it all together and he's got thousands of people just calling in telling him how their person died. And you just hear all these pe- different people's stories. And it's beautiful. I thought it'd be traumatic, but it's beautiful. Mm. Um, so the people listening, it's, you know, you, you know, there's no right or wrong. It just is what it is. I, I, I'm more interested in about how we handle support. I, I, yeah. I just think, we, I think everybody out there has the ability to, uh, send flowers, turn up, drop off a meal, um, come around, say, hey, I've, I've got a beer I'm going to share with you, then I'm going to go. There's lots of ways to, to support. And I really encourage people to be courageous enough to support and, and know that if it's out of love and care, it will be well received. Uh, yeah. It will be well received. And not only that, you will cement a friendship for life you, you you will cement that that there will be an unbreakable bond after that point yeah no it's a good reminder Dobbo thanks for coming on man I really appreciate your uh your thoughts your your conversation it was a it's a good topic it's a it's a topic I've never really spoken about at length like that so it's mm. um you know and I, I feel like I'm interested in this scene so if I haven't I'm sure mm. there's there's plenty of people who listen who haven't either so man appreciate it. it's always uh always great sitting down and having a chat with you yeah, give my best to James as well. And now I appreciate you been building the show so that you're brave enough and, and, and give time to topics like this, which aren't necessarily uh, not going to be your top hit when you go through the the, the podcast. Uh, who, who listened to which episode? You know, the one how to actually the our episode that's been downloaded the most is called "Stuck in a Rut." Um, so you know, I always think it's going to be the one like how to crush it in life, but um, I'm not sure that. Death, grief, and support. I wonder how uh, that'll be downloaded. Who knows, man? I've got a I've got a podcast I do for the distance running, relaxed running. <clears throat> had some of the best distance runners in the world on there, and I think this one's going to absolutely blow up. You know what the most downloaded episode I've ever done is? A guided thirty minute easy run. <laughs> 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 it's uh, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it was that, my, book, my book on uh, parenting freakability. Interviewed the parents of Australia's great athletes and said, "How'd you get your kids so good?" And uh, I was talking to uh, Rocky Aloisi of the Aloisi Boys Soccer, and uh, I was asking him, you know, how did you parent your kids? And he said, Do "You know, no one has ever come and asked me how I got my kids good. Everybody comes up and says, Do you have a contact so that you can get my son into, you know, <laughs> and I had this horrible, sick feeling. I was like, Hang on." No one's ever asked you. They just want the free ride. And I was like, mm. oh, this book's not going to fucking sell at all. Because <laughs> no, nobody actually wants to make, know how to make their kids good. They just want to be able to go, how do I let my kids play while I can watch my favorite Netflix show? Like, that's what it should have been called. How do I get my kids to fuck off so I can still have the life I want? <laughs> Seriously. I've asked that question more time than I'd like to admit as well. Oh, <laughs> all right, Jumbo. Ben, I'll leave you to it. Thanks again. Thank you, mate. See you later. See everybody. Bye.